0: Hello and welcome to Love to See It, a lovely show about shows about love that we love to see. I'm Megan Faraday and
1: I'm Joe Dukes
0: and we're here to get real about sex, love and relationships through the medium of reality TV. <laughs>
1: doing well today has been mega warm but one thing that i've discovered is this evening i feel a bit like an action figure like straight out the packet why like a fresh clean doll i don't normally shower in the evening Mm -hmm. and i was super stinky all day i just showered earlier Mm -hmm. but whilst i was in there i conditioned i shampooed i shaved i moisturized i um what's the one where you where you scratch the skin off your body
0: exfoliate i
1: exfoliated with like a scratchy poof and i i feel so i feel so clean i'm so
0: happy for you thank you so much that's lovely because you went for a run yeah
1: i went for a run i got it all out there all the stink and now now it's gone that's great i genuinely feel reborn
0: wow yeah how are you feeling i'm i'm really good i also went for a run I wasn't copying you, but like, I felt really good about that. It was a small one, but a run nonetheless, and I feel good about it.
1: From runner to runner, I'm proud of you.
0: Thank you. That means a lot.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I just wanted to quickly straight off the bat address something.
0: Okay. Are we about to have a talk?
1: (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that I found when I was going through the last episode of our podcast mm. was a tendency of mine that I never ever ever knew that I had and i've been literally thinking about it since <laughs> it's um a tendency of mine where i really listen to what somebody is saying and in the moment i'm like ah oh, vibe in so i say yeah absolutely and also and then nothing really of substance comes after and i end up repeating that phrase or like the point that somebody's just made right back at them and i said this to somebody on the phone and they were like yeah <laughs> yeah yeah you do that <laughs>
0: just this is a thing that you do i'm not going to comfort you about this realization you've had (laughs)
1: Yeah, I'm just
0: gonna say that it's true. <laughs> the way that you're reading yourself is accurate. <laughs> At me, oh my
1: god, <laughs> me. Stop. but um, it just got me thinking about like all the gender dynamics that go into like how entitled people are to points of view and conversation and things. Um, and how even though I'm not somebody who completely identifies with maleness or is comfortable with the category male, if one is socialized male. Lo and behold, these kind of speech patterns emerge. And there I can see the toxic masculinity in myself still present, you know?
0: But this is interesting because even as I was editing this today, I literally didn't notice you doing this.
1: Maybe I cut loads of it out.
0: (laughs) Maybe, but well, I I don't- It's like hide the truth. (laughs) No, but but even when we were having our our conversation, I didn't notice you doing it at the time. So maybe that says something about how I have also been socialised to respond to people repeating my points of view and taking that as being validated. I don't have a problem with it. Maybe that in itself is a problem. I don't know.
1: I think it just goes far enough to, like, explain why our conversations flow so well in that case.
0: Probably. Gender. Also, you hate to see it. You do. Or in my case, you don't feel anything about seeing it because you're so used to it because you've been socialised as a woman. So. Gender.
1: You always fail to see it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something that started to happen is that we've started to talk to each other in French, but neither of us can really do it. So we just say words that sound funny, and we put too much emphasis on the end of words. Ah oui,
1: nous parlons français, très bien.
0: And I get, I get a bit anxious actually because sometimes I'm like, what's Joe said? Can Joe speak French better than I can? But then what you're saying doesn't really make sense, does it? Yeah. Can I
1: speak better French than you? The answer is no. (laughs) <laughs> the best thing is when you can think of an english uh noun that ends in like ing mm-hmm. and then use it in like a verbie phrase for example what was it that we said earlier
0: do shopping.
1: Du fez, do shopping.
0: you used to do shopping is sure
1: why not i mean i like just to take a stab in the dark and see where the ships fall <laughs>
0: <laughs> dear listener it's only joe and i in the house at the moment not only that we're both working right now because Joe has come off furlough.
1: Unfortunately.
0: How are you feeling about that right now?
1: It's been a wild ride. It's been actually, I, let me rephrase, it's been quite a sedate ride. Yes. But one that I've really enjoyed. You know, just nice to take a break, get back to who you are, you know, just breathe, look around.
0: Stop, look, breathe, live, laugh. And love. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, I am back to work and um, it's, it was quite nice. We had some music going, we were sharing the kitchen table, we yep. had a little we work situation on the ground floor. It was kind of
0: like that, wasn't it? Our kitchen is our office and we are, we're co-workers, we're colleagues at this point. Something that's happened with our sense of humour between us mm-hmm. is that Joe has invented a fun new joke.
1: Which one? I've invented so many. Well,
0: one that stuck with me. Joe started keeping me posted on various things that happened. I love this one. Joe was unloading the dishwasher and Joe said, Meg, Meg, just to let you know, I've just got this bowl, right? I'm taking it out of the dishwasher and I'm just going to put it in the cupboard.
1: That's it. The the bowls are done. They're in the cupboard. And what I'm going to do now is uh, I think I'm going to go with the, the chopping... Balls, if that's all right for you so i'm just gonna i've got actually got to turn around to put them in the drawer because they're over by the oven not the sink um and then once i'm done with that i'm gonna move on to putting the plates away and you've got to stack them in size order let's let's start resisting the
0: urge to scream because like i get interrupted doing actual tasks to deal with this today Joel asked me how my lunch break was <laughs> no as, that was funny as if i'd gone to the shops. And I was like, he was, Joe was like- Did you go did anywhere we? nice for lunch then? And I was like, I've been in the kitchen. And Joe said, oh, did you bring a packed lunch then? <sighs> <laughs> What's terrifying about it is that like we, we, we obviously don't work in the same place, but office chat we realized is so universal mm-hmm. that we can just slip into it. With barely any effort. And it's so boring.
1: I just think you've got to find new things every day. To keep things fresh. Mm. In a relationship you know.
0: But it's got to a point where we're now boring each other for fun. We're taking ownership of spending every day together. <laughs> and we're turning it into a joke. And doing it deliberately to make it funny.
1: Nous faisons du boring So Meg. Yes. At the end of the last podcast episode, we said that we'd probably watch Too Hot to Handle. I still don't really know anything
0: about it. So Too Hot to Handle is a dating show of the island variety. So this involves a bunch of hot singletons being taken to a very beautiful remote location and seeing what happens between them. But this has a twist.
1: I mean, at the moment, it just sounds lovely.
0: How I've just described it might make it sound reminiscent of Love Island, but The twist is all of these contestants are not allowed to have sex with each other. Not only that, they can't even touch each other. What do you make of
1: that? Oh, (laughs) dear. Oh, blimey. That must be really hard for them.
0: Yeah. Well, we're we're about to see how hard it is because the question is, is it going to be too hot to handle? Is it going to be too hot for them to handle? Is it going to be too hot for us to handle? That's my question. What do you reckon?
1: Well, I guess it depends on what kind of hot you're using because if it was above 32 degrees, it would be too hot for me to handle anyway.
0: But like, if it's
1: just (laughs) about not having sex, then I would win. I would smash that.
0: Yeah, yeah. You would win right off the bat. And you would think that it wouldn't be too hard, but we have to remember that... The word hot in Too Hot to Handle actually contains a lot of meaning within it. It's not just about the temperature. It's not just about hot and steamy sex. All of the people that are going to be featured on this show are hot.
1: So it is essentially Love Island, but without intimacy.
0: Not without intimacy, with desire for intimacy, but barriers on intimacy. As a premise,
1: I I, really, I still can't tell if it's going to make me super angry or super interested. Because yeah. I think it will either be about like... Like sexy people wanting to have sex full stop or it will be about like desire and yearning and self-control and those things which could
0: be kind of cool what i would like to see is these people trying to find other ways to establish intimacy kind of like how love is blind forces its contestants to work around barriers and establish intimacy and connection. I'd like to see if that happens here. Mm. But from what I've seen from the trailers, there's a lot of yelling involved. Like a lot of frustration. A lot of, oh no, yelling as a way to vent sexual frustration. Oh my god,
1: I hate the narrative that anger is just like another conduit for passion. I know. Can't stand it.
0: We might be about to see that. I don't (sighs) want to jinx it.
1: Shall we just... Get on a plane and jet set.
0: Yeah, let's go. Cool. Zoom, zoom, off we go. Zoom, zoom! <laughs> <laughs> Way. Way. Oh, great. We're back. Joe. What just happened?
1: Not that much just happened. No. We were surprised to see that the episode was only 40 minutes rather than an hour. Essentially the show was like, this is a show that's about sex but not about sex. But we're only going to reveal that reveal that to the contestants at the end. So we kind of like knew this thing was coming the whole time. Uh, and basically these super duper hot people from all around the world had been gathered together for their thirstiness and their looks. We were introduced to this paradise island. They kind of filed in one after The other... They were all saying, he's very attractive, she's very attractive, I want to lick them, I want to bang them, like this, that and the other. Mm -hmm. And then essentially, once they were on the island, it was like, on the one hand, a countdown towards when the sex ban becomes explicit. And on the other hand, these hot people hanging around with nothing to do, so they're just like flirting with each other.
0: This episode was about foregrounding, which might be a reasonable thing to expect from the first episode to anything. But this was like relentless foregrounding. We have a narrator who keeps reminding us that the sex ban is coming, it's impending, like a sort of...
1: Like the purge.
0: Yeah, this sort of (laughs) impending doom that's going to befall these poor, unwitting, sexy, sexy people. And I think we're encouraged to laugh at them Mm. from the beginning, because it's it's made clear that they don't know that they're not allowed to have sex. That's going to be revealed to them at some point in the future. But until then, what are they going to do? Flirt with each other. Why? Because they're hot. What more reasoning do you need? That's all they have to do. That's why they've not been given an activity. Is
1: this just going to be like a rehashing of hot people live in hot ways?
0: Hot people find each other hot. Did you actually find
1: them that hot though? Was there anyone who was like, ooh?
0: Interesting you say that. Um, I'm not normally attracted to really, really ripped men. Hmm. Some of them I was like, yeah, you're pretty good looking. But when they start to talk, that's when I found myself being like, oh, I'm not actually too sure about you. What were they saying, Meg? Well... What possibly
1: in this show could have annoyed you, I wonder?
0: Let me tell you. (laughs) Each one of these contestants... I'm going to call them contestants because it's a competition, right? Mm -hmm. It is a competition. We're introduced to them one by one. They each have dedicated introductory diary room bits. And in these bits, they talk about themselves. But they talk about themselves in very limited terms. It's clear that they're being asked questions about how hot they think they are, what their type is, how they normally approach people for sex. And that's basically it. Oh, apart from where they are, where they're from in the world.
1: Mm -hmm. It also transpires that when they're talking about how they approach people they actually do nothing. They're so passive, they just look good and people come their way and they don't actually have to try.
0: There was one guy who openly said with confidence that all he does to attract people in bars, because it's always bars when they're talking about where they go to attract people. Because they're so fun. Because they're so fun and so hot and that's what hot people do, go to bars and flirt with people. All this man does is take his shirts off. That's it. I've never seen that happen. Have you seen that happen? What kind of bars do you think he's talking about? Because I imagined, like, a <laughs> cocktail bar.
1: Well, I have been like, when he said it, I was like, is he gay?
0: <laughs> Where <laughs> the bars is he going
1: to? Because, like, it happens in gay spaces, like, obviously. Mm-hmm. I feel like if I was in a straight socialite, hipstery, fucking neon lit bar with some craft beer behind you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And somebody, like, took their shirt off, it would be so weird. It would be so weird. That's
0: what I thought. I would look at him, strangely, and then I would probably leave. I would certainly... Sur- not be enticed <laughs> just to say hello. Out. He seems to think that if he is shirtless or if he is naked, like that's the only variable he needs to change.
1: It's enough of a requisite,
0: yeah, to attract people. He doesn't need to say a word. He just needs to be a bit more naked, and then, as if by magic or magnetism or fucking pheromones or whatever, women will just flock to him.
1: Somebody in the show called themselves a star and said that they had a gravitational pull, so that language was echoed
0: throughout. And it's language of passivity isn't it Mm. and it's interesting passivity because it's like He seems to assume that women don't have a choice but to be attracted to him. But he also doesn't need to do much in order to do the attracting. He just needs to be his physical self, like very ripped physical self. Yeah. And he will obtain a sex partner within seconds, apparently. Which I don't believe is true. (laughs) I'm going to go out on a limb and say I think that's wrong. I think that this is a fantasy.
1: Oh, you think that he's just lying for the camera?
0: Yeah, he is lying. Either he's lying or he's deluded. Because I don't think that Mm. that that ever happens in real life. And I think he could probably be arrested. (laughs) For what? For lying on TV? No, for being naked in oh. like a bar. Like...
1: <laughs> but did you know that um, nudity is... Wait, I think it was you that I spoke with to about this. Nudity is not illegal.
0: Yes, it is. No,
1: like nudism is not illegal.
0: Yes, it is. Are you being serious? Yeah. In what context is it not illegal? Because I, like...
1: I think in all contexts except for, like, indecent exposure.
0: Okay, but where do you draw the line between nudity and indecent exposure? Like, in the law? So, this is what the BBC says. <clears throat> It's not an offence to be naked in public in England and Wales. There you go. But it does become an offence if it can be proved the person stripped off with the intention to upset and shock. The complainant has to prove this.
1: I mean, I don't think I ever would ever take my clothes off with the intent to upset and shock. Probably just to delight and titillate.
0: (laughs) (laughs) To delight and titillate who yourself. (laughs) <laughs> would wants
1: it
0: you know no but this is this is the shaky legal ground that we find ourselves on
1: <laughs> goodness me certainly in the language that people were using is like there was this automatic way that they were describing themselves as like hyper macho hyper successful hyper sexy in these like ways that kind of make themselves sound really infallible they're just like i am the perfect human being mm. i am like like you were saying i'm a fantasy like mm. i am a fantastical human being mm. but at the same time yeah they're their approach to being hot was so pre-given that it almost like denied any human agency it's like they they don't fully understand what makes them hot aside from their aesthetics
0: yeah I mean sex for them seems to be inevitable sex is something that just happens to them all the time because they're hot right Mm. they don't don't need to exercise agency it just happens they just get women or get men (laughs) it makes me wonder what their actual techniques are
1: and also what their actual relationship to sex is because yeah. it's almost like they are talking about sex as a means to confirm that which they've already said they are you know like hot attractive desirable successful mm, it's
0: like it's like therefore sex is inevitable
1: yeah like it just happens to me all the time because i'm this way yeah and it's it's very like self-fulfilling isn't it it's like i'm sexy so i have sex and although they're only really talking about these things in like a closed loop, like sexy causes sex, which proves the sexiness. Mm. We as a viewer are taken to understand that they are so much more than just sexy. It's almost like it indicates success and um, status and all of these other things.
0: Of course, they are sexy and fulfilled and quite wealthy, I would guess as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of them is an influencer. For people on this show, success is like a state of like stasis, something that's permanent for them, something that doesn't Change like if they have reached their peak then maybe because they don't need to try for sex that's representative of them really not having to try to improve like anything in their life mm.
1: like I just said I wonder what their actual relationship is to sex mm. I, I want to know more about like their relationship to these things that define their sense of self the impression that we get of these people is so flat I kind of thought that this was going to be a show about like desire but I haven't seen it
0: yet yeah the blind spot is like what there is to desire about each other that is not about physicality Mm. all they talk about in their conversations with each other is either what their type is who they think is fittest in the group and what their tactics are for finding sex partners that's it the conversation doesn't go any deeper than than their sexual practices which is weird
1: do you have a type?
0: do I have a type? yeah that's a really interesting question because I full of them (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's weird because, so I, I've i had sex partners of lots of different genders and I knew that I was attracted to boys from when I was quite young. So I have a more defined type, I think, for cis men than I do for people of other genders that I sleep with. Mm-hmm. So it's it's easy for me to pinpoint like physical types of cis men. But my attraction to people of other genders is a lot more fluid and something that I have been exploring like quite recently over the last like five years or so yeah so it's very weird to have one thing that is I would say fairly delineated and another thing that is like another part of my sexuality that is a lot more fluid and uh, and still to be explored mm-hmm. so I can relate to having a type and also not having a type
1: yeah do you think that's because as somebody who was like socialized like cis straight female mm. your relationship to those particular body types of aesthetics is more pre-given and learned yeah right? for sure it's like the reason that you might have more diverse tastes outside of that box is because it's felt out yeah and like more experimental
0: because I had role models growing up people giving me ideas about who was attractive who was desirable that was definitely a social thing exploring the wider aspects of my sexuality has been something that I have really driven myself on an I- like as an individual and I've done that consciously I think I've definitely unlearned some of the things about cis men that I was quite attracted to mm. before. <laughs> or at least I can recognise. done. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I guess, yeah, my, my type has shifted a little bit there. But yeah, I can definitely remember being younger and having conversations with, you know, friends that I had at school. Because I went to an all-girls school as mm. well. So a lot of the way that I was socialised there was to do with thinking about boys in a way that was romantic and having conversations with friends about who do you think is fit, Mm. which was made more interesting because we obviously didn't have that many friends who were boys because- They were always at a distance. Yeah, so boys was always a thing that was more like imaginary and fantasised about than actually experienced. Mm -hmm.
1: Because one of the things that I felt just watching the show was like constantly recognising that these people are deemed to be attractive and literally feeling nothing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Were you not attracted to any of them?
1: I actually wasn't and but I would no I wouldn't say that like my type is ever this kind of like super chiseled, super masculine person anyway. But that doesn't mean that I cannot recognise that which is attractive more broadly like outside of myself and societally deemed it's almost just like watching it you're like cool you're hot that doesn't do anything for me like I'm not invested in this show for that reason so which is why I think when I stopped watching the the show when the episode finished I wasn't like angry or disappointed or anything because I actually had very little investment
0: you didn't so did you not relate to anybody there and did you not relate to the sexual frustration
1: it was more that I didn't find any of them like set off like a, a a flame of desire mm. in me mm. but I knew they were attractive and they it's almost as if they were dealing or like trading in this attraction that wasn't mine it was like they were held at a distance right like mm. like the boys from the girls school yeah and it's like it was so separate from my reality yeah. so I was left feeling uninvested
0: do you think that as viewers we're supposed to feel like a mirrored sense of frustration at the frustration that we're witnessing happen in front of us do you think that's how we're supposed to relate to what's being shown
1: I can imagine that like with a show being called Too Hot to Handle, like there must be an element of for the viewer of being like, this is like Too Hot to Handle both in the sense that I would like to see more hotness, but also that the hotness itself is ridiculous. Mm. And I guess like maybe I did think it was ridiculous, but not in not in a way that I was frustrated by it, more in a way that I felt like it was a world apart yeah. from where I'm coming from.
0: I actually found myself really... Not wanting to see any more intimacy than that which we saw today. And I'll tell you why.
1: <laughs> Go on, lay it out.
0: I was actively put off and made to feel quite anxious and uncomfortable.
1: Was it that really sloppy kiss that got you?
0: No, no. It was It was broader than that. It was the methods used by every single man who I saw trying to pull. I just didn't want to see any of them try any harder Something I'm confused about is in the diary room bits where they're introducing themselves and talking about how they pull, how they find sex partners, everyone's very confident. And that's great. That's good to see. But there is a big, big mismatch between what we heard them say about their confidence and their ability to find partners. Seeing those tactics played out with real women in real life was absolutely cringeworthy. Mm -hmm. Like I was cringing at the attempts made by these men to try and lure these women.
1: The chauvinism was palpable throughout
0: the chauvinism of it all <laughs> the blatant chauvinism the
1: chauvinism up in here
0: exactly there's one particular scene that got me got and it involved Rhonda and david david's the one who thinks that he can attract women at any time by just taking his shirt off in this scene that we watched with david and Rhonda, david really fancies Rhonda. Rhonda's just lying on a sun lounger getting some sun just chilling out by herself and then she gets approached by david now david already has his shirt off his his secret weapon can't be to de- <laughs> so <laughs> So what he resorts to instead is some of the most cringe-inducing conversation I've ever heard in my life. Their conversation literally starts with him talking to Rhonda about how he notices that she's looking at his dick. I guarantee she didn't take one look. And he was like, lol, stop looking at my dick. It's a
1: classic move.
0: And she was like, ha 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 And he was just looking at her like he wanted to fuck her. And I'm like, dude, surely you can strike up conversation about more than your own penis. (laughs) Surely you have more to talk about. Um, I don't know if they do. so So another thing about David to remember is that he has a lot of sun cream on his person. That what? was
1: his second secret weapon, mm.
0: David. In the absence of his primary weapon to use, and I'm using the language of weaponry because that's also the language that's used about um, sexual pursuit quite often in this show. There's say? a lot
1: of reference to like the hunt, yeah, the, the hunt, chase, pursuit.
0: yeah, Animalistic. having a
1: target placed on something or someone. Yeah,
0: it's it's the language of animalism and warfare. That's the metaphors mm. that we get without his primary weapon of his bare chest. What he decides to do instead is to give her some. Now that's quite a gentlemanly thing to do. He describes himself as a gentleman because obviously he's British, so of course he's a gentleman. I guess that comes with the accent. And
1: he's definitely more of a geezer than he is a gent, but I think that's by the bye.
0: I don't trust men that call themselves gentlemen. They're always lying. I always think that conceals sexual predatory. A self-confessed gentleman is not to be trusted. Would it, you agree? Are you and-
1: saying it's something you earn rather than something you deploy?
0: I don't think it's anything to aspire to. Love, I think you just love to, to see that. How about you just be a decent human being? And not a sex crazed predator
1: i wonder if a recurring line in this podcast is going to be the bar is so low for men and sometimes they they still struggle
0: they still do well he didn't struggle too much because so so when he got the sun cream out he had a clear modus operandi he was like right i'm just gonna apply this sun cream that's gonna be a nice activity kind of like foreplay i guess Rhonda turns over and we see David rubbing the sun cream onto her back. I think it's supposed to be quite sexy, but all I can think of is how unappealing David is to me. Anyway. <laughs> He's
1: making your skin crawl. Yeah. But, but he didn't really touch her back very much.
0: No, he didn't. Where he put his hands instead was her bum. Now, Rhonda has quite a nice bum.
1: The old caboose.
0: Yeah. She describes it as her biggest asset, ha, ha, ha.
1: Wow, Meg, you really loved the
0: show. <laughs> <laughs> Just this one scene. <laughs> So David's having a great time rubbing away on Rhonda's bum. Mm-hmm. It, and it feels really weird to look at as well. It feels like something that we shouldn't be seeing. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be seeing it, and I was wondering if it's supposed to be a titillating scene for the viewer. I was so aware of David's nerves yeah. because he didn't know what to say because he obviously doesn't he know was how. So to out talk of his depth because he doesn't know how to talk to women. So
1: as a viewer, would you like to know what it was like for me? Because I happened to write a note about this scene. It says, "ass touching." That's hyphenated with mm-hmm. a colon. It does nothing for me. Comma. It feels deadened.
0: Deadened is the word. They're being so self-referential about what they're doing. It goes from talking about his dick to talking about Rhonda's bum. And then David finishing the conversation by saying, thanks for letting me rub lotion on you. What what was he after? Well, he's communicating via touch, obviously. Because all he wants is sex. Because all anyone wants on this island is sex. So there's literally no need to have any conversation about anything apart from that, is there? I found it uninspiring and deeply unsexual and just cringeworthy.
1: Can I ask what your main emotion is at the moment?
0: I'm just annoyed at the men.
1: (laughs) You're not angry. (laughs) You're just disappointed.
0: Because I think I feel more negatively about this episode than you do.
1: Yeah, I feel deeply neutral.
0: I don't. I don't. And the reason why is because I can't help but put myself in the shoes of the women. Mm. No matter how sexual of a person you are, if you're stuck on an island with lots of men who believe that it's inevitable that they are going to have sex with you, that seems like the biggest off in the world to me.
1: It also, like, borders on the dangerous.
0: Right? I mean, we had one guy just called Jesus through the whole thing because he happens to have long hair. Jesus, man. Full-on harasses a woman.
1: Yeah. He and, like... the,
0: and the weird thing about the scene is I don't even remember who the woman was because I don't think the camera actually showed who she was. All we saw... She
1: was just wearing red.
0: Yes. The The important thing to know is that this is just one of the beautiful women on this island. And we see Jesus having a conversation with another man. And this woman walks past and Jesus starts having this conversation with his friend and yells, basically catcalls this woman. And it's like hey you're beautiful red looks good on you Mm. that to me makes me recoil in
1: yeah he said something along the lines of like it will help you stand out as well
0: which brings me on to I think that it is very, very interesting that this co- this show is a competition, right? It's a competition to not have sex. Mm-hmm. I think that there is more to this competition than meets the eye.
1: Oh my God, tell me more! Because I don't think I've... I haven't got there yet. Like, for me, it's just one level. So please take me to deeper. To me,
0: there are levels of competition here. Mm-hmm. It's not only competition about... Who can resist having sex for the longest? What's foregrounded here is also a competition about broader desirability related to um, sexual appeal but not restricted to that. Part of this episode that I found the most interesting was when all of the contestants are brought on, they're brought on one by one and they're just in this area having drinks with each other and they're allowed to just say hi to each other, introduce themselves to each other. There's no presenters. There's no other people. There's no one to mediate the conversation. So it just sort of happens. And this kind of, these little... Groupings and attractions and pairings kind of organically mm-hmm. form. It looks as though they're just allowed to get to know each other for maybe an hour or so and just to see what happens. Now, something inevitable that happens here is they all start talking about how hot each other are some of them make mild attempts at chatting other people up but what i found more interesting than that was the other sort of social bonds that we saw forming and these are pretty gender segregated so we had little groups of women talking about how fit everybody is and who their types are and who they think is most attractive this happened a little bit with the men but more so with the women there was a group of three they were talking about the men that they found really attractive but then they started talking about about one other woman. Do you remember this?
1: Was her name Francesca? Yeah, they
0: start yeah. talking about Francesca and then they sort of bring Francesca over. And Francesca, in this moment, is very clearly demonstrated to be like an outsider, I think. This is the Mm. moment where Francesca as a threat is introduced.
1: Yeah, because she's an outsider, but also like from her very first minute on the show, she is positioned as the alpha female.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The most attractive. She's the one with 310,000 followers. Mm -hmm. So she's like brought into this group of three. To me, yeah, this is an important moment where social competition starts to brew. I had a sense... In this first episode that the way that winners and front runners are going to be decided is not only who is the most physically attractive, the most beautiful, the most sexually desired, that is going to bring with it a certain sense of like power over other contestants. So in a very gender segregated way some contestants are going to constitute a threat to others and I think Francesca is already positioned to be coming out on top because she's very desired by a lot of men. Mm-hmm. I they like flock to her. Yeah, and there's a tension between her and Chloe mm-hmm. immediately. Francesca and Chloe are both quite into the same guy, aren't they?
1: Yeah, tall Harry tall from Australia. Harry
0: from Australia, tall Harry with a boyfriend dick. <laughs> <laughs> I okay, which is a whole other point. Later on in the episode, the contestants have a makeup competition.
1: A makeup competition, make
0: out competition.
1: Oh, I, I actually forgot. Like about a kissing it. competition. Wow, pass me by.
0: Tell me if you remember this. In this competition, the person who so one of them's blindfolded, somebody else from the circle comes up to kiss them, and the blindfolded person has to guess who that person is right? So they're, so they're judging each other based on kissing ability. Mm-hmm. They're, they're like making assumptions based on how good of a kisser they are.
1: And Harry's the first one to be blindfolded. Chloe's the first one who to kiss Harry. Yes. Boom.
0: Chloe really fancies Harry. Chloe kisses him. Harry takes off his blindfold. And says, I think that was Francesca.
1: Dum, dum, dum.
0: Do you remember the look on Chloe's face when she sat back down? Yeah,
1: she she bites her nails when she feels a bit awkward. Yeah. I've gleaned.
0: Yeah, she felt gutted because she really fancies Harry. And she mm-hmm. was like, why didn't he know that I was the one that kissed him? Because...
1: Because he was blindfolded,
0: babe. Because he was blindfolded. But she really wanted it to be her. So he clearly fancies Francesca. And that's a bit shit for Chloe. When Francesca is blindfolded, Harry stands up and kisses her. And it's like
1: anxiety confirmed.
0: Yeah. Harry has a great time kissing her. So there's a competition between them as well as a competition in themselves to not act on sexual feelings.
1: Yeah. I think it's interesting the point that you were saying about sex and desirability, like, kind of feeding into somebody gaining power in this environment, whether that's social or power in terms of, like, their position in the competition. Mm. And I don't know the lyrics, but I know that you will. It's like <laughs> that Janelle Monet bridge or chorus.
0: Oh, everything is sex, except sex, which is power. You know, power is just sex. Uh, something about screwing me, I'll screw you too. Yeah. It fits, right? Yeah, sex is power, power is sex.
1: I mean, who needs Michelle Foucault when you've got Janelle Monet? Just... <laughs> What a way to get into talking about the fact that, like, sex can just be this immediate corridor towards power, whether that's power in an official sense or in a social sense, and the way that, like, these two things are co-structured in everything we do. Mm -hmm. If you desire something, that thing has power over you. If you are desired, you can also gain power through that. And I don't disagree with anything you said earlier, but I guess one thing that we should probably acknowledge is the way that these women have at least entered the show feeling empowered through the ways in which they have been desired in the past and consider themselves desirable.
0: Mm. Yeah, they take a lot of pride in their sexuality and being sexual people. Mm. And I guess that's really good to see. And it's really at odds with the way that, like sexual behavior is like described by like the producers of the show. There's a clear link between flings and meaningless sex.
1: They have problematized quote unquote, meaningless flings.
0: Finally, at the end of the episode, when it's revealed to the contestants that the twist is they're not allowed to have sex with each other. Y'all wanted a twist, eh? (laughs) Then they got one. Um, The justification that's given is to encourage them to develop relationships that are more than meaningless flings. Mm
1: -hmm. Can I use this as an opportunity to say that... I just think it's interesting that Please do. Um, this island where which they stay is explicitly phrased as a paradise. Yes. And what followed from that, I, I thought, was so much language around wildness uh, and around the hunt, like we've already discussed, and essentially natural Garden of Eden-like imagery. Like, if I say Garden of Eden to you, what, what do you think?
0: Like, freedom and natural beauty um but then also
1: like temptation right sure so there's like there's so much bounty there's so much like beauty in the world but ultimately the garden of eden is like ruined by temptation specifically eve being led astray by temptation and sex outside of like Mm. the couple one contestant that came on the show and i can't remember used the phrase heaven on earth yeah. to describe where he was. And then another one said that this show is going to be like relationship enlightenment. So the the thing that reveals this key rule about the show that they cannot have sex is a robot. The, the position that the contestants find themselves in is that they're on like this wild island where a woman is comparing herself to a cheetah, a guy is comparing himself to a lion, everyone's on the hunt and they're following their natural base instincts. But then what this show is doing is it's saying this is problematic welcome to this relationship enlightenment
0: it's interesting that it's an AI who is like their leading figure right technology cool right like faceless if we're going with the Garden of Eden metaphor this is like God what do you think about that kind of technology and the way that's positioned versus dating apps and that kind of AI
1: interesting because I guess like so the immediate observation is that is robotism a word robotism robotery
0: Robottery. robotness (laughs) I think we can make up a word to (laughs) it you can say the the robotery of it I love it yeah
1: So, like, through <laughs> through this robotics, it's, like, the use of a robot, the use of artificial intelligence is the triumph of logic and objectivity. And so it's essentially being, like, these people lack logic. Yeah, this AI is out to change that. But I guess with dating apps, there is an artificial intelligence to apps that can learn the kind of people that you swipe on, the kind of people that you message, and also the kind of people that you reject. So th- maybe there's a mirroring there going on.
0: Well, so... Right. In one instance, thinking about dating apps, dating apps are designed to keep people using them for as long as possible. You know, like like every app, what's important is time on device, Mm -hmm. which is a concept that's borrowed from casino. People that develop apps, like that's their priority. You
1: want people hooked.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's literally the aim of it. So for dating apps, the important thing is for the algorithm to, yeah, I guess, learn your type, keep you interested. But what it's doing is commodifying your time and your presence on the app. And yeah, it's an AI that's commodifying the search for love and sex and stuff like that and the and the people doing it.
1: Mm. I guess it seems to me that the AI is the thing that enacts the rule that they're not allowed to have sex with each other. Yeah. And in doing so in this show, the robottery is, is the thing that defers gratification and mm. also defers like conclusion. Because before this rule is dropped, the contestants have one specific narrative arc in their mind and that's, they are attractive, that will be confirmed when they have sex. So the AI is literally the device that enables this show to be a season and a competition rather than just like a stupid fucking story from A to B. (laughs) And in doing so, that's probably the act of commodification, right? Because without it, this show is not, nor would it ever be entertaining.
0: Yeah, exactly. There's something to be said about worth Mm -hmm. more broadly. Something that we haven't mentioned is that the longer that these contestants... Stay on this show and don't have sex, the greater that the chance will be that they will win a cash prize. What's the value of that cash prize?
1: 100,000.
0: 100,000. But
1: with every transgression, the group collectively loses money, no matter who committed the transgression. That's my understanding.
0: Yeah, yeah so everybody loses out. Mm. So do they each get 100,000 pounds? I think maybe it's shared. I don't know. But anyway, so there's a monetary value attached to abstinence from sex, which makes me think about. Worth attached to sex and abstinence from sex, you know, most of all. I in, guess- in the
1: most traditional sense?
0: I can't help but think of it as as regression because being socialized in Catholic education mm. this is definitely something that was hammered into me you know worth attached to sexual abstinence there was an assembly where uh, this this group of like I think they were youth activists or something they were they were part of a group that were like activists for sexual abstinence and I remember them giving this whole performance and spiel about about purity and abstinence and they got a girl up on stage or like of girls and they did this routine where they would like stick a plaster on her and then rip it off and then another one and then another one and then another one yeah something to do with like the more you have sex the less sensitive you get or something it was something to do with demonstrating that having lots of sex is bad
1: i hate it so like i hate these kind of like stereotypical ways of describing sex as constantly like exhausting or subtractive Mm. Um, in some way as if sex doesn't nourish and like nurture and all of these other mm. things that, th- cause that can be so frustrating I
0: think the point was that we were supposed to remember how how much it hurt the first time and then it hurts less and less than we do it No. yeah So I can't help but have a bit of an issue with things that reinforce ideas of purity Mm. and worth. I mean, in this case, it's financial worth. So the point is really driven home. But I came away from this thinking we're really being told that abstinence from sex is a one way ticket to a better life and happiness. And it's, and it's made more difficult for me as well, because um, we're still in a period of lockdown. You know, we're still in the coronavirus pandemic, mm. which for a long time, up until very, very recently, like literally in the last couple of days or so, has meant that there's in effect been a sex ban for single people. People have been prevented. Like, I, There's a lot of people that I know that have been prevented from having sex in the way that they normally would. Mm. But I've heard a lot about how people have managed to not only work work around that, but the opportunities that this sort of period has afforded for people to make different kinds of connections, you know, whether that's with friends, whether that's with people that they're romantically involved with. So like a lot of people have got a lot out of being forced to not have sex in the way that they normally would. And that's really cool. And it's really cool to have seen people getting stuff out of that. But it's so at odds with having been socialized to believe that abstinence is good and pure, mm. and then unlearning that as an adult. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I have a thing to say. I'm gonna say it in the next segment.
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Meg, this is our segment called <gasps> Me. me me oh my god me. at me uh, oh roast me.
0: my god
1: <laughs> <And> me uh. <laughs> me again so uh my me this week we've actually already touched upon mm-hmm. my me was fucking david rubbing that butt i <laughs> just like me sat there not feeling anything okay. i was like oh my god me. I was Rhonda. I was lying there. Me. Someone was touching my butt and I was like, I I don't care. Yeah. It was almost like the confirmation, and I'm sure the editing was part of this anyway, but it was the confirmation to me that like when I'm watching this show that is about sex and is sexy and is full of sexy people, and I nonetheless feel like like a plank of wood, like deadened unresponsive it's just like oh yeah wow this helps me realize my distance from the sexual ideal as somebody who's on the asexual spectrum and like would has placed myself there for like the best part of a decade Mm. kind of having this like non-sexual vantage point and seeing sex as constantly different in a way undesirable for me um and well apart from anything that like would be an ideal relation to another person. And so it's interesting hearing you talk about uh, like sex as worth and the way that the show ensures that that is the framing for sex. And as we were saying that sex is success, when my experience like being in relationships, dating, and also on occasion having sex, the things that I find nourishing about it are often the most non-sexual aspects. So. What does mutual support feel like? How does that nourish me? How does that build a relation with someone? Or like, what about friendship in a romantic or a sexual context? Why, for me, is that more important, for example, than like the act of sex itself? When I'm watching this show where the only word on anyone's lips is sex. It just seems so farcical to me and therefore freeing because I'm able to see the ludicrousness, the robotary mm. of, uh, of sex. So my me is like kind of what you were saying, but the complete reverse.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. When you say the robotary of sex, are you touching on something about the way that people practice flirtation and like sexual touching and like foreplay and stuff like that? Are you touching at all on how like deadened it seems? How I wasn't seeing a lot of responses to each other. I was just seeing people enacting sexual practices because that's what they do, apparently.
1: Yeah. For the longest time, when I was trying to reconcile my attraction to, to men, the only entrance point I had to the gay community was a sexual entrance way, right? So the only way that I could understand myself as a gay adolescent or as a gay person was the most visible aspect as it appeared to me at the time, which was gay sexual culture and gay sexual activity. Despite the fact that I had no, dare I say, instinctive connection to sex and sexual attraction and sexual desire, Nonetheless, I learnt these scripts and it was so easy to spot them and how automated they can become in cultures of sexual minority or even sexual majority. Yeah, I guess for me, seeing these hot people speak in the language of hotness and deal in the currency of sex and attraction, it's like, it seems unradical to me in the extreme because it's like, this is how I have learnt sex as somebody who is not of that experience.
0: What you're saying does resonate with me. Me actually so i have a bit of a problem with the way that most people specifically one person who was talking about Mm non-monogamy i have a problem with the way that this is positioned as like the peak of success so when you're talking about your entry point into gay culture being something that was guided by normative sex and sexual practices I think I had quite a similar experience about coming out as bi. Right. Especially when I moved to London. There was a period of time where I suddenly like found myself uh, acting upon a lot more sexual freedom than I had before. I did that because I had opportunities that were open to me and it was great. And yeah. I learned a lot and I looked back on it and it was, a, it was a really important time for me. I looked back on it like really fondly. But it was very difficult to navigate that as someone who'd like come out as bi and feeling a bit of a need to reclaim stereotypes about being sexually liberated and having a lot of sex and sexual partners. Mm -hmm. It was very strange to know that those stereotypes existed, to act in ways that I knew would fulfill those stereotypes to certain people, but nevertheless, I felt really good about and gave me a sense of sexual autonomy that was really important and formative to my understanding of my sexuality. It's something that I've left behind a little bit. And I look back on having learned a lot about things that I now prefer to avoid. But I have a complex relationship to it because the act of doing it and asserting autonomy through it is complex because it's in the face of stereotypes. Because I could yeah. look down upon, it, upon for doing it. And now having left it behind, it's not that I regret it at all, but some people could view me, you know, going through that time in my life and now having kind of grown past it as having left behind a certain way of living my life that was less pure you know to return to the language of purity you know i can't help but kind of use that language because that's how i was brought up and
1: there's something like very queer there just even in the subtleties of what you were saying in the sense that if by having more sexual partners and being more sexually adventurous all of a sudden it almost appears as if your engagement with sex is more throwaway and more like transient when even maybe that isn't the
0: case not at all no no I, I learned more about myself in the space of a year or less mm-hmm. than I felt like I had done for decades before in my life you know and I was I was doing it for myself first and foremost which again kind of puts me at odds with looking at figures on this show pursuing sex for what feels like quite individually driven ways like not necessarily looking for connection and that being positioned as bad yeah. I just can't help but feel discomfort about it because my experience has brought me to a point where I'm like sexual freedom for me at least is not the be all and end all of you know happiness and being satisfied in life but it is of such value that I just can't position myself in a binary like this is bad or this is good way about it and that's exactly what this show is doing Mm -hmm. so
1: because it's trying to fix that aspect of like sexual freedom sex as free from a relationship or a couple it's trying to like correct that um
0: yeah yeah it's a corrective practice and so Mm. I've faced efforts to correct sexual practice through my whole life I guess that's why i have this response of discomfort to this whole thing
1: mm-hmm. it seems to me that you found a lot of value in exploring those things and like almost acting as the deviant whereas in the show the value or the worth is put on the correction so that those two things are like definitely in contrast and intention tension. I think that when we talk about um, straight sexuality and like these critiques that we're mounting of the show, the reason that we can mount them is because the sexual stereotype here is actually the way that power and its relationship to sex and desirability is rendered visible. That the reason that these contestants have been selected is because they are the stereotype of sexual and social success by virtue of their desirability. But I think what we've been talking about is engagements with sex in our lives that has actually been deviant and free and emancipatory because of its deviance. You know what I mean? Yeah. And even if for me, the deviance of that sex, um, even if I wasn't participating in sexual activity yeah. or just engaging in the sexual culture, the deviance of that sex was educational, freeing, and helped me to develop and learn and grow into a subjectivity or like a personhood, a new stereotype that was bigger, more developed, and deeper than that sex originally. My frustration with this show is that the sex reproduces the sex reproduces the sex. And so we're left with this 2D image of these hot people being hot. And it's like, it's like, you can't go anywhere.
0: The promise here is that once you are prevented from acting upon certain desires, you will come out with a richer relationship with somebody because of that. Mm -hmm. But again, like Love is Blind, what it's really doing is just delaying the inevitable, which makes it this circular thing of hot people being hot and wanting to have sex. The twist just being, it's just delayed and that's it.
1: So the real gag for me is that if they were to have sex and if the show were to maybe shine a light on a different aspect of sex, as opposed to just the act that creates success or power, if the show were to focus on all of the non-sexual intimacies that are present in sex between people, it might actually come out pretty progressive anyway, because Mm -hmm. even if you're having sex with someone who's not your friend, I would argue that there is an element of the friendly in sex. There's an element of the comedic. There's an element of the romantic. There's an element of the scary. Sex is full of so many things that are not in and of themselves sexual, that's what makes it such a powerful thing in our culture. Mm. The way that we fail sex, or it can fail us, is when we fail to see the non-sexual things in it. That's always been my frustration with the way that sex is used and manipulated in society or in our Western cultures to control people and their relationships. When, if only we saw sex in all of its multiplicity, it could be so queer and freeing. We never seem to be able to let it do that to us or let ourselves do that to it.
0: Mm. And I fear that with this show, it's going to be the case that in the characterizations that we're going to see, I fear that the characterizations are not going to go further than hot people wanting sex. And that reduces these characterizations to things that are very, like, almost kind of siloed to individuals mm-hmm. and just individuals just being hot and sexy and wanting to have sex. And I just wonder how far, really... These forcibly non-sexual relationships are going to develop. You know, we, we've we've seen some spoilers already that, again, because sex is positioned as inevitable, that there are going to be tensions involved with who sleeps with who and who reduces the monetary value of the prize. And that just seems like a, like you said, like a failing. Mm. There's really, there really is an opportunity to see richer characterizations of the people that we're seeing, and I just don't think it's going to happen. I think what we're going to focus on is just. Sexual desire being sexual desire. People wanting to have- to, like, functionally fulfil sexual desire and not explore the ways that it can kind of facilitate richer yeah interactions well
1: because you said it so well like the show sets up is that sex is an individualized practice that makes an individual Mm. like it's something that you can accumulate or score points from or profit from and it pretends that sex is not something that can connect people the idea that you yourself can own something in sex when it's something that you automatically share with everyone in your culture and are, you are defined by it, whether you like it or not. And that only in relation to other people can you access it or it can access you. Do you know what I mean? Ah, mm. oh man, it really rolls me up
0: it's just it's just so true and it's and
1: it really do be that it way it really
0: really do it's the only way that it's gonna be it is a failing <laughs> I'm, like I'm not a fan of it I'm just not <laughs> it's not for me it's just not for me <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like you me because we're still on that
0: section oh my god just I think I've well maybe I've already given my me I've seen a lot of like my um, socialisation and sexual culture reflected back at me in the way i've responded to everything i've seen today mm. you know it's brought up memories for me that i haven't thought about in a really long time i guess
1: that's kind of nice though right
0: yeah it is nice um it's nice to confront really complex yeah memories and experiences of sexualization of a
1: weekday evening of
0: a weekday evening (laughs) after work i enjoy being able to look back on a series of like very different very variant very deviant experiences in sexuality and be able to see like the kind of relatively peaceful state that that's brought me to Mm. today and that's really nice to reflect on yeah. When I see these people on on you know on the TV like in this kind of state of stasis to me that's actually quite perturbing because I I guess my experience has been quite turbulent. I think I'm kind of grateful for that. Yeah. And I'm grateful to not be in a state of mind where I think that I've reached some sort of pinnacle of sexual enlightenment you know to return to the language I was of just, enlightenment
1: that's exactly what i was going to ask you i was going to be but you wouldn't describe it as a sexual enlightenment absolutely would you?
0: not no and i don't want to be in a state of enlightenment
1: you're not the sexual buddha
0: no and i don't want to be because <laughs> like, it's a lie because it's a lie it's a um,
1: fantasy
0: as we said at the beginning yeah i guess that's my
1: me lovely thank you that's my me <laughs>
0: So, Joe, how queer is it?
1: How queer is this show? Like, we've discussed so much already about the, the queer themes that it's generated in us. Mm. But I guess my question is, like, how much of that is because we are queer viewers? And, yeah. like, we have this experience already that will dovetail or contrast with what we see on the screen. I think it helpfully opens up conversation about sex because the narrative that we would expect to see is that sex and pleasure go together and pleasure is only accessed by acting on your desires which comes through sex easy peasy i think that in a bad way we're seeing that sex doesn't just overlap with pleasure here in fact sex more so overlaps with status worth desirability success as we've already discussed so at least that's a cool lesson to learn you get to glimpse sex's social power as much as sex is sexual power. But also the show moves sex out of a relationship. It moves it out of the confines of coupledom. It definitely suggests that all of the contestants can like access agency, desire, and they can also be open to being acted upon and being desired. It doesn't stop the men from being horrible chauvinists yeah. throughout. Um, hey, do you know one thing we haven't spoken about is that guy who was like, yeah, I would say I'm a feminist. I studied some of that at uni. It was really, it was a really good way to help me pick up girls.
0: Is that what he said? Yeah, I was like, no. Oh my goodness, he knows the word feminist. I guess. Mm. I guess he knows in the abstract that women have rights. He's
1: instrumentalizing that knowledge to be like, shag me. Yeah,
0: that's like another point on his fuck me card. <laughs> I don't have a fuck me card. You don't. <laughs>
1: This is, this is all me suggesting that it could possibly amount to something that is a little bit queer. Yeah. And I thought about this. The reason that it is not queer is because the sex that it portrays is apolitical. The things that we've been discussing right now is like the ways in which sex has helped us or engendered for us, or at least been a bit compatible with, our like political personhood emerging, and that being in some way different, counter, etc., The sex in the show is apolitical because if you don't have sex, you win. And if you do have sex, you lose. Bish, bash, bosh. But a queer sex is like, no matter how you use it, by virtue of it being queer or doing some kind of queer work, you will be emancipated. The system will be troubled or changed. That's not what this show does. And I don't think this show could ever do that. So my answer to is it queer though is nah. We just had a big conversation, right? That was like... Sex contains all of these extra things. That's what makes it valuable. Mm. Um, That's where its power really is. Yeah. The show might equally prove that there are other routes to friendship, solidarity, romance, all of these other things outside of sex. And Mm. like, I'm sure that is the case. But by forbidding sex... I would predict that it would stop it from happening. Because by saying you you all can't act upon these things, it, it's only just gonna cement, cement the things that they're feeling and what they want, right? Like you always desire the thing that you can't have. So I don't know if they're gonna be able to look through not being able to have sex to the things that they could have afterwards.
0: Yeah, I I believe I'm right in saying that the show... What what you see in the following episodes is quite a lot of challenges that are explicitly designed to ramp up sexual tension in order for it to just not be followed through by Mm. any actual sex at all.
1: Or forgotten about.
0: So the whole show, despite it purporting to be a show that is teaching these contestants a lesson about the value of non-sexual experiences, what it's actually going to do is just ramp up sexual attention to the point where it's all they and the viewer can think about.
1: Sounds pretty monotonous.
0: We know they want to fuck each other. (laughs) That's what we're told in the first five seconds of the show. Maybe they'll fall in love. I hope that happens. That'd be nice.
1: But they don't sound very interested in it at the moment.
0: I hope they have more to talk about than sex, but it's going to be made very difficult for them by the format of the show. Bless. Joe and I had a conversation after um, our last episode where we reflected on these categories that I invented for the first episode in our rating system. And we realized that we'd made a bit of a mistake in our um, numerical ordering of these ratings. So we've revised these somewhat to make them make sense a little bit more. So I'm going to quickly run through what this means. We have our whack rating. This is where we rank how bizarre the concept of the show is from one to ten, where one is pretty normal, not much to write home about to 10, which is the most bizarre thing we've ever seen in our lives. We're then going to give it a feels rating from a rating of 1, which is leaving us confused and angry, to a rating of 10, which takes us to warm and fuzzy feelings. We then have an ethics rating, where 1 is giving us terror and anxiety on a profound level for the contestants' welfare, to 10, which is leaving us with no concerns whatsoever. And finally, we have our queer rating, where 1 is damagingly regressive, to 10, which is surprisingly progressive. Joe, what would be your whack?
1: How bizarre is the concept? It's not that bizarre
0: No, it makes you think of Love Island immediately
1: Yeah, so it it looks like Love Island But also the key rule is for them not to have sex Which is not bizarre, it's positively traditional
0: Yeah, if we're talking about something being regressive This is it For me it's a 2 Okay, I would give it a 1.5 So maybe, yeah, (laughs) 1.75
1: I'm quite happy to give it a 1.5. Okay.
0: In terms of feels, I didn't expect to be as annoyed as I was by it. But I I can't lie. Like, I was annoyed.
1: It definitely didn't make me feel positive. Like, I felt that I lacked an emotion when it stopped. So Mm. I would be inclined to give it a 4 or a 5.
0: I'd give it a 4. Cool. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's going to have a 4 for feels. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So for ethics, I don't think people on this show are in any real danger. I'm not as concerned as I was for Love is Blind, for sure.
1: I don't think there's gonna be any like massive psychological hurdles for these people. If they get anything positive out of it, it might even be like a nice thing for them to experience. I have very very few concerns. Yeah. I think the worst they'll feel is a bit of discomfort.
0: Yeah, they're going to feel a bit annoyed and a bit frustrated, but that's kind of it. Mm. So I would give it...
1: Like an eight? I'd give
0: it an eight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. How queer do you think it is from one to ten?
1: I I actually really struggle with this. Yeah, me too. Have you got an
0: inkling? I don't, I really don't think I feel strongly either way. I don't, I don't think it's very queer.
1: I agree with you, but I'm just wondering like if the show does anything queer for the viewer.
0: I think it did queer things for us because we are queer queer viewers
1: Mm, this one's a head scratcher
0: yeah i'm gonna give it a four because i don't want to make it neutral on a queer scale i think it's far too straight (laughs) (laughs) it definitely doesn't emancipate It it doesn't it doesn't
1: break down any systems for sure
0: no i think a four four
1: it hasn't, it hasn't made waves in terms of the scores that it's pointed, the points that it's scored.
0: <laughs> no, it hasn't. I mean, if anything, it's, it's nice on the ethics rating. And I feel, I feel happy about giving it an A on the ethics rating.
1: I guess the last question I want to ask you is, did you enjoy watching that?
0: No. Cool.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep. I said what I said. Uh, so if anyone's listening to this podcast, you might want to catch Too What To Handle. You can do that on Netflix. It was released this year, uh, 2020. Let us know if you hated it as much as Meg did.
0: Rant with me. I'd enjoy that.
1: <laughs> Rant with me, baby. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to Love To See It, a lovely show about shows about love that we love. To see. We hope you loved it too. And if you did, be sure to subscribe or follow the podcast wherever you're listening. Leave us a review and perhaps most importantly, share it with loved ones.
0: You can also follow us on. Instagram instagram at love to see it underscore podcast and on twitter at love to see it underscore pod and if you don't fancy sliding into our dms you can also send us an email at joe and meg love to see it at gmail.com we're also on youtube under you love to see it however don't call us, we'll call you.
1: Our theme music is created by the inimitable Billy Hog Maskell, who you can find on Facebook and on Instagram at Fluffy Crumpet Baby, no spaces.
0: <laughs> Joe, I've had a wonderful evening with you. Oh my God. You've been wonderful company. If you like, I'd really like to do this again sometime. Oh my gosh, do you want to come up for coffee? Oh my God, I'd love to. <laughs> I thought you'd never ask. <laughs>